What a great song to sing to prepare our hearts to hear God's word. And within arm's reach where you're sitting is a Bible. Open up God's word with me to page 259. We're going to spend some time camping out in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Uh, We took a break last week from our look at the life of David. We connected with our kids' ministry, looked at the life of Joseph, which is the theme of Vacation Bible School last week. And when we last left our hero a couple of weeks ago, David had spared Saul's life. He ran away from Saul. They reconnected. David had the chance to take Saul's life again. He refrained from doing so. He fled again after Saul tried to take his life again. And then Saul and his son Jonathan go into battle. They die in battle. David is crowned king. And by the time we catch up with him today, a lot has happened. Years have gone by. And the people of Israel are experiencing a new era of peace in their story. Uh, God gives them rest from their enemies, military peace, economic prosperity, spiritual rest as well. In the chapter right before this, in 2 Samuel chapter 6, the Ark of the Covenant, which was captured by the Philistines, has been returned to Jerusalem. And David wakes up one morning and says, Now what? What's next? And he comes up with a new plan, something new to do for God. He says, all right, if, if all the battles are behind me, there's a new job for me to do for God. I know, because something's out of order here. Here I am living in a nice palace lined with cedar panels. We're rare and import, we're probably very expensive. And their God is, in the Ark of the Covenant, now that it's back, is in a temple made of curtains. He goes to the prophet Nathan. Uh, this is the first time Nathan the prophet appears in the Old Testament. Uh, I got my first Bible when I was in third grade, and everywhere the prophet Nathan appears in Second Samuel. I was a big Lakers fan at the time as a kid. I was born in California. And uh, purple and yellow highlights all over every time Nathan appeared. And Nathan, the prophet, though, says to David, look, you, got, you have a large financial contribution to give to the church. Whatever you want to do, it sounds great to me. But what we find here in this text are two fundamentally different approaches, two fundamentally different relationships. The difference between human nature and divine nature, between a relationship that's built on what I can get and a relationship that's built on a different question of what I can give. One is a consumer relationship, the other is a covenant relationship, and that's where we're going to spend our time looking at closely. We see here David's approach to God, consumer-based first. And God's approach to us, the covenant love that he has. We're going to spend our time looking at these two things first, to consumerism, which is the default operating system of every human heart. So um, our son Adam turned nine years old on Wednesday, and uh, 
I came to him and said, because uh, my wife was out of town for a couple of days and we were getting ready for the birthday when she, she came back, and I said, Adam, what do you want to have for your birthday dinner? And he said, well, I want Domino's, which is strange because we never eat Domino's pizza. And I said, okay, well, what do you want for Domino's? He said, I want uh, pizza, cheese pizza, and I want garlic, cheesy bread. Now, I'm not a big cheese pizza guy, but garlic, cheesy bread, I think is like one of the best things in the world. Am I right? I mean, there's like the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, and then there's garlic cheesy bread, and chocolate cake, maybe right underneath that. Uh, And so we live right next to a Domino's, and rather than get delivery and, you know, add a a bunch to the the bill, which is like half of the pizza order, uh, I said, um, well, uh, let's go pick it up. And I was glad I did, because I went in, and right as I walked up to the register, they were pulling the pizza off the oven, and I noticed as the guy was taking it out of the oven and putting it into the box that the edges of the pizza were burned. And I wasn't quite sure if it was edible or not. I mean, it was a little darker than the crust in the pizza of this picture here. And I said to the person at the register, I think that pizza's burned. And she said, oh, yeah, well, it's been happening. You know, it, we have this new kind of dough, and it's the oven, too, that's kind of not really working too well. And as politely as I think I sounded, <laughs> I said to her, I didn't pay for burnt pizza. (laughs) To be a consumer is to ask the question, what do I get for the things that I give? Because as a consumer, you have the right to goods and services at a fair price, and if the goods aren't good enough or the price isn't Low enough, you have the right as a consumer to go down the street and get what you need from someone else at a better price or better goods at the same price. Uh, We've been married 12 years. I think we've been through every cell phone carrier. Started out with AT&T, went to Verizon, then to Sprint, now we're back with AT&T. If your gas that you're paying for is too high, you can go down the street and buy gas that's cheaper. Uh, By the way, uh, just last night, we were in downtown Littleton, went out to dinner. I saw gas. It was $3.93. Credit card price. Littleton Boulevard, Circle K. (laughs) Tell them Nate Paragoy sent you. (laughs) You have the right. And by and large, to be a consumer, financially speaking... By and large, it's a good thing. I'm sure that David has good intentions when he decides to do something for God. If you got your Bible open, and I hope you do, let's read what David decides to do. Verses 1, 2, and 3 from chapter 7. Now when the king lived in his house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies... That sequence is going to be important in a few minutes. The king said to Nathan the prophet, See now, I dwell in a house of cedar, but the ark of God dwells in a tent. And Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that is in your heart, for the Lord is with you. Now, remember that years have gone by since his coronation. And I can't help but wonder 
if I'm David, this isn't the first time that he's noticed that he's in a palace and the ark of God is in a tent. It's probably crossed his mind before. But notice the sequence here. Notice that he waits to do something about it until he has enough time, until he has enough rest, that he's got what we have as consumers, this invisible threshold at which, after which we reach, we'll either bail and go to somebody else, or after which we'll begin to start to do something else, some invisible line in the sky. For David, in his case, it's after he's got enough time and after he has enough rest that he decides to put God first. And this is the human approach to God that says, I'll put you first when it's convenient for me to do so. No matter what you may say you believe about God. Because all of us have a point at which an invisible threshold where sacrifice is no longer convenient. A point of financial security after which we'll begin to give generously and share what God has first given us. When we have enough rest, enough space on our calendar, after which we'll begin to invite people into our lives, after which we'll begin to serve and go out of our way to give of ourselves to the people around us. All of us have an invisible line after which sacrifice is no longer convenient. Take, take our obedience, for example. It's, it's the same deal. Because all of us have a threshold, an invisible line after which we will say, well, uh, after, when we're tempted, after which we will begin to give in, Or, or with our temper when it just becomes too much and the people around us had, have annoyed us we'll blame our circumstances we'll blame them and then we'll lose our temper usually the people who matter most to us and all of us for that matter have the propensity to point the finger and I say it was them not me the propensity to keep score and to hold on to the ways that the people around us have let us down and to remember instead all the ways that we've done it right. You don't think you're a spiritual consumer? Think again. Maybe you say, well, I'll pay the price now. Has this thought cre creeped in your head? I'll pay the price now. And I'll refrain. I'll be good. I'll stop doing that. I'll start doing this so that maybe someday in the future God will pay me back for my obedience to him. 
Or, or perhaps the darker version of that is to wonder, to look back on your life and say, to feel the pain in your life today, the price that you're paying in the present, and to wonder if there's something in the past that you've done that God is paying you back for in the present. Have you wondered that? I have. Uh, Ten years or so ago, the church I was serving in Florida, we had a, a, a softball team and we weren't very good. Uh, so it's our young adult group, and uh, we didn't win a single game until the last game of the season. We had a chance to win. Maybe you've heard me tell this story before. And um, uh, we were up at bat, middle of the game, uh, runners on base, about to score. I'm on second base. Uh, balls hit through the infield and I'm rounding third and before I can get home the umpire calls me out and I didn't understand why and I couldn't quite understand what he uh, was using to justify the fact that I was out because the ball was nowhere near third base it was nowhere near home base and according to the home plate umpire as I was rounding third I made contact with our third base coach which meant I was automatically out. I didn't touch him, okay? <laughs> and I told that to the umpire. And when I couldn't get through to him, I appealed to the second base umpire and said, you've got a better line of sight. You can overrule him. Why can't you say that I'm safe? Because I didn't touch the guy. You know the truth. And play has stopped at this point. And I march into the dugout and I kick my water bottle and, and and remember, I'm the pastor of this team that's here, and my wife Jackie is lovingly and directly as she can gets in my face and says, "You need to calm down. This is not good." And we don't score another run. So we go out to the field, the, the half inning immediately after, and I'm in center field, and a ball's hit to me, and I'm running it down as fast as I can, and I'm, uh, I'm left-handed, so I stick out my right hand in my glove and to, to, to kind of catch it in front of me as I'm reaching out, and then I take my left hand to wrap up the softball in my glove, but the glove isn't, or the ball's not in my glove. The ball has made contact and come right down on my forefinger. I came over too early, and it really, really hurt, and so I dropped the ball, and then uh, we this is what the first batter would have been the first out. We get two outs very quickly after this, and then the other team is just scoring run after run after run. And I'm out in center field in this inning that feels like it's lasting an hour, shaking my hands, saying, man, that kind of hurts. I wonder what happened. Uh, I must have jammed it really good. Finally, we get a third out. We go back to the dugout, and my father-in-law, who's at the game, is an orthopedic surgeon, and I said, hey, Mark, can you take a look at my finger? And he said, yeah, you broke it. We're going to the ER right now. And somewhere between the dugout and the hospital that was just a couple of blocks away from the field, I found myself wondering, God, are you punishing me for the way that I've acted? Are you paying me back? For something that I had just done a few moments ago. Because our hearts are wired to be spiritual consumers, 
from a human perspective, it's a very normal question to ask. To wonder, what do I deserve for the things that I've done? What am I getting out of this? And by the way, in the first place, who says that you have the right to decide or to know what you think you deserve? And what we need, what we need is a love that doesn't keep score. A love that keeps no record of wrongs. And for that matter, keeps no record of rights. A love that isn't dependent upon what we do wrong or what we do right. That's not dependent upon what we think we deserve. A love that will be sacrificial to us when it's not convenient. One who isn't dependent upon us to be faithful to us. From consumer to covenant. Not based on what I can get, but what I can give. If you have your Bible open, let's go back to 2 Samuel chapter 7. David comes to God. David says, I'll build you a house. God says, no, 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 David. You don't build me a house. You don't do something for me. I build a house for you. Let's look at verse 4. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan. Go and tell my servant David, thus says the Lord, Would you build me a house to dwell in? I've not lived in a house since the day I brought up the people of Israel from Egypt to this day. I've been moving about in a tent for my dwelling and all the places where I have moved with all the people of Israel. Did I speak a word with any of the judges of Israel whom I commanded to be shepherd? My people Israel saying, why have you not built me a house of cedar? God says, I've never brought it up because it's not a big deal. David, this is your problem, not my problem. So then, let's, let's look at verses 8 and 9. God's going to give he, David here an incredible look at a, a glimpse of his past. And I want you to pay attention to the subject of the verbs in this list about David's past. Verse 8. Now therefore, thus you, Nathan, shall say to my servant David, thus says the Lord of hosts, here we go, I took you from the pasture from following the sheep, that you should be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went and have cut off all your enemies from before you. Let's pause right there. God says, I took you from the pasture. I made you king. You think the events of your life are an accident or for that matter, you think you may have some control over your circumstances. I'm the one who's been working behind the scenes whether you can see me or not. And my presence has been with you whether you could see me or not. I'm the one who's been working in your past, now it will switch. It will, God will pivot and give to David an incredible view of his future. Let's keep reading verse 9. Halfway through it says this, and I will make for you a great name like the names of the great ones of the earth, and I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more, and violent men shall afflict them no more as formerly from that time that I appointed judges over my people Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. 
He doesn't say, I will build you a house. He says, I will make you a house. And by the way, it's not the kind of house that you're thinking of. The house that I'm building isn't a house. It's not a building at all. The house I am making is you. Okay, class. Who's the subject of the verbs when God gives to David a unique glimpse of his past? Who's the subject of the verbs when God gives to David a unique view of his future? Anybody? Go ahead. It's God. I've arranged the events in your story whether you could see me or not, and I've always been with you, and I will be with you, and I will make you a house. God's saying this, that my covenant love isn't dependent upon you. It's not dependent upon what you can see, whether you can see me in the background of your life or not. It's not dependent upon what you know, whether you know much about your future or not. It's not dependent upon you. It's all dependent upon me. How so? Because long after you're gone, verse 12, let's take a look. You can see it on the screen. God says to Nathan, after you're dead, when your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Let's keep going. Verse 14, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. I will discipline him with the rod of men, with the stripes of the sons of men, but my steadfast love will not depart from him. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever. Your throne shall be established forever. You've got a price. A point at which you give in to temptation. A point at which you lose your temper with the people who matter most to you. But by the cross, Jesus says that in my covenant love for you, because you are worth way more than goods and services, because you're mine, there is no end to the price that I will pay for you. Because this is not about my rights, and this is not about my convenience. He says, I'm not in this for me, I'm in this for you. Because I'm the one who was struck and striped and disciplined by the rod of men. In your place, I got what you deserve. And on the cross, the temple of my body was destroyed. Three days later, my father raised it from the grave, and my empty tomb is a glimpse of your eternal future. And my steadfast love, because you're mine, will never depart from you. This is the great irony in God's sovereign wisdom, the great irony of the covenant love of God that you get to get from a God who loves to give. Let me say that one more time. 
that in the covenant love of God, you get to get from a God who loves to give. And so the transition for us today is from what do I get to what can I give? Let me say just a couple of things briefly before we close. And let me start by those of you who are watching this morning from home. I, I talked to lots of folks here who have said to me, I love that we uh, live stream here and I can watch you from home. Uh, I visited Glenn and Vernie Kumbelik, who live down the street for us. They're homebound. And they've been married over 70 years. Glenn and Vernie, if you're watching right now, hi. I was at their house the other day bringing them communion. Uh, they can't get here. They can't physically be in the building. They just can't get out of their home. Uh, so, uh, some of you have medical reasons why you can't be here. Some of you traveling right now. Pastor Abel, he's on, just started his vacation this morning. I'm sure you're watching Scott Abel to this sermon. <laughs> but, but some of you don't fall into that category. And some of you have said to me, I just love that I can watch you from the kitchen with our cup of coffee. I have you on the iPad, and, and it's like you're speaking right to me. Now, we did this good thing a couple of years ago, you know, installed cameras, but it's had a tailing effect that, that as a result, we've created a new kind of church consumer. That you can be here without being here. And let me tell you this, if that's you at home and you're physically able to get in the building, what you can't get at home is the presence of your brothers and sisters. You can't look them in the eye. You can't shake their hand. You can't give them a hug. You can't take the Lord's Supper at your kitchen counter like you can when you come up here. And if you can be in the building or you used to be in the building and now you're not anymore, we would love to have you back in the room with us. Am I right, guys? Amen, yeah. Now, before the rest of you start patting yourselves on the shoulder, I got something for you too. <laughs> and it's this, that you've got more to give than you think you do. You at home too. Uh, I've had the chance to get to know the dad of one of Adam's friends. And somehow, at 41 years old, to my own surprise, I'm making new friends. Huh, what do you know? And... Uh, just earlier this week, the boys were both over at our house, Adam and his friend, to, to, to play together, and I said uh, to the dad, why don't you come over before you pick him up, and we'll have a beer on the patio and catch up. Second time we've hung out, and the conversation was way better than I expected. I mean, I know you're busy. I, I know you got lots of things to do, but you have way more to give than you think you do. And it may be, when you do, it is way better than you expect, whether you get something out of it or not. From what can I get to what can I give? Because the great irony of the covenant love of God is that you get to get from a God who loves to give to you. So let's be the kind of people who in return from all that we've been given, be the kind of people who love and serve and give because he has first loved and given so much to us. It'll be better than you expect whether you get something out of it or not. In the name of Jesus, amen.